inside the circle. Sapong racing forward. Wide now to Mukhtar near side. His shot is save. Rebound given up. Akeloma hammers it home. Ladies and gentlemen, there is your designated player. Ake Loba is off the mark at Geodis Park. Well, that Ake Loba goal, his first in league play this year. The one bright spot for Nashville SC, courtesy of iHeartRadio, is the boys in gold lose to Sporting Kansas City 2-1. Not a discussion, Tim, we thought we'd be having on today's episode of Club & Country, the podcast of record for Nashville SC coverage from the two people who've covered the club longer than anyone in their respective disciplines. I am Nashville SC radio voice, Wes Bowling. And I am Tim Sullivan, the creator of ClubCountryUSA.com. Bit of a shock on Father's Day and Juneteenth. The boys in gold go down 2-0 after 51 minutes. A resurgence after that, a goal from Ake Loba, but not enough, Tim. And now just one point in two matches against teams at the bottom of the West since returning from international break. Yeah, that's. Uh, I don't think that's good. If I need to check my notes real quick here, i got to do my own research a little bit on that one. But No need I would to also, check. Yeah. I would also like to remind everyone that, that even too far from ideal results, uh, it doesn't mean the sky is falling. Um, the 2019 FC Cincinnati team uh, that we recall as being uh, comically bad, like one of the worst teams in MLS history, beat two playoff squads en route to their their ignominious first of, of multiple wooden spoons. So this is a situation that happens even to good teams, happens even to teams bound for the playoffs. Obviously, you would prefer to minimize it, but at the same time, it does not mean that the season is suddenly over. Nashville is still in playoff position yet. No, and I think you know some of the tenor of the discussion that I saw yesterday after the match and today was was extreme, you know, alarm and and frustration. But then when you get to the mailbag, as we'll do in a bit, I think our listeners are nuanced and they're intelligent. And there's frustration and there's concern and there's you know what can Nashville do X, Y, and Z. But I think most people understand that there are ebbs and flows mm-hmm. in Major League Soccer season. Um, this is certainly an ebb, and Nashville SC has a chance to get things flowing again but uh, some questions to answer especially about their home form it's now just two wins uh, in inside the 90 in seven home matches at jodas park and and that's not how i think any of us saw this stadium uh, opening no it's definitely not and um you know i don't think it's necessarily anything specific to jodas park but nashville's kind of uh, horseshoe that they seem to be carrying around with them whenever they were at home is is no longer a guarantee it's something that is really going to have to be evaluated both from a team perspective and, and maybe from a from a support perspective i think supporters probably feel like they can do a little bit more to help this team as well so if you want some optimistic realism and candor you came to the right place club and country that's what we specialize in here we'll be realistic but also upbeat and if you're looking for magical realis- re- realism, I encourage you to check out Encanto, uh, wherever you watch your Disney films. Hadn't gotten down that rabbit hole yet with uh, our little guy. We oh, have no, just... You need to. It's a, it's a good one. Is it's it a good I've one. heard it's really good. Really, really, really corny good. Lin-Manuel Miranda wordplay, as you might expect. But that's a good one. He is my idol. I, I adore him. So <laughs> that's great. That does not surprise me at all. No. That surprises <laughs> no one who listens to this. I'm going to try not to bust out some, some verse now. Because he's my idol, but I can't replicate that or come close to that brilliance. Won't try. Nobody wants to hear that. Uh, but on today's show, in the early shout, what happened to this team? What's what's happened, especially the past couple of weeks? After a really promising showing in that 3-1 win against Colorado, maybe international break just shouldn't have happened. As Nashville had such momentum and, <laughs> and comes back now and has a couple of, of rough patches a rough patch here in a couple of rough days what's the road back to the nsc that we know and in the gold nuggets will put a bow on the 25 match home win streak to which we will now be waving goodbye in the mailbag officiating goalkeeping tactics academy all kinds of questions and, and we'll look back at the last couple of matches but also look forward and discuss these things again with that viewpoint of this season being far from over and Nashville still being in a playoff position with some work to do. Uh, we'll go outside in and talk about another disappointing subject. Of course, Nashville overlooked in its bid to host a World Cup match or series of matches in 2026. Plus, the Open Cup is back for everybody but NSC this week. Nashville plays Orlando the following week, but we'll give you a preview of the other three matches. Loaded show for you today. But First Club and Country is sponsored, Tim, by the one, the only, the impossibly good ML Rose. Yeah, week after week, I get so excited seeing people who uh, sometimes don't even live in Nashville sending us messages or, or tagging us in tweets saying, hey, 
because of your recommendation, I checked out ML Rose on my way to the game and it lived up to the to the expectations, the, the very high expectations that I believe you and I have set for it, Wes. Uh, I don't think it's disappointed anybody who's told us that they've gone and checked it out. The best marketing relationships include measurability and based on the delicious pictures that come through our, our timeline. <laughs> the X delicious is very high. <laughs> it is very high. And you know what? It, they they match the X, XD with, with the actual deliciousness itself. There was even a time when, okay, I think it was two weeks ago now, I tweeted out, you know, what are your favorite ML Rose meals? It's lunchtime. I'm hungry. I had no intention of going to ML Rose myself <laughs> that day. I you let people talk day. you into it. <laughs> I, I had a busy work day. I had a dentist appointment. It was just not going to happen for me that day, but I wanted to to live it out through some folks. I got like a ton of pictures, a ton of insight, and I went to ML Rose. So I even <laughs> found a way to drive business to ML Rose from myself. Does that count as a referral? I feel like that's kind of not an honest move to make. <laughs> But it was legitimate in that case. I wasn't going to go, and then my mouth was watering so much. I was like, you know, I'm making time after the dentist to go, and, and that's when I had the Belgian that was so delicious. And, by the way, good to eat the garlic only after the dentist appointment instead of before, I would have been. <laughs> well, you, you know what? Every time we come on here, Wes talks about how great the food is, and I talk about how great the beer is, the great beer <laughs> and the great beer selection. I think we talk a lot about how we both kind of like a, a wide variety of, in our in our palate there a little bit. And, and ML Rose is a place where you can go and you know they're going to have something for you on draft anytime. It's not a place where you go and there's exclusively IPAs or there's exclusively something uh, Belgians or something like that. Even though the Belgian burger does pair very nicely with with maybe a, a local Belgian brew. So mm-hmm. that's definitely something that you, you will be able to find something. If you like beer at all, there will be a style that you like on draft. It's true. And I got several messages after the match yesterday. Hey, are you going Going to ML Rose, uh, I think our friend Mike Meredith said how many mm. uh, beers that ML Rose is going to take to to <laughs> yeah. save that match or remove it from your psyche. Didn't what didn't make it uh, after the match, unfortunately, but we'll be going again here very soon. In fact, the next road match Saturday, um, I'll probably adhere to my tradition: get an ML Rose burger, take it to Jodas Park where we call away matches as well, and uh, can't wait. So uh, if you happen to be around, I will uh, I'll buy you a water, I'll buy you a beer before the game. I'll have a water or a coke. And, uh, and say hello. Uh, ML Rose, the best burger spot in town, the best place to go pre-game, post-game, and pre-work, post-work. Uh, whatever <laughs> you might want to do, ML Rose has, has your answer. Great food and great beer. All right, let's move to the early shout. The rope of a free kick has found the net. The Tennessean from distance. Felipe Hernandez out of nothing and from 40 yards out. A wounded animal bites hardest. And it is the team with the bottom of the West, SKC, that has taken a shock lead at Geodas Park. 23 yards out, now far apron. It's Graham Zuzi looking to go to work. He'll step in and play a left-footed shot. It's in. Nobody closed him out. And in the 51st minute, the U.S. men's national team veteran has put SKC in a spot nobody thought they'd be in. For the first time in 22 regular season matches, 25 overall, and 592 days, Nashville FC lost a home match on Sunday, and the setback came to uh, the suspect that we least suspected, probably, (laughs) an SKC team that had scored just five road goals all season, hadn't won a road match this year. Make that seven goals and one win, as you just heard uh, those two goals, courtesy of iHeartRadio. For any long streak to break, there has to both be maybe a team that is uh, coming out a little bit flatter than we've expected at home, but it also takes a little bit of a, a fluky situation. And I would contend that both of SKC's goals were fluky. Certain, uh, certainly when you look at how SKC has performed on the road this year, uh, the fact that they even got those shots off might've been a little bit fluky too, but fluky goals count. And when Nashville comes out way too flat in the first half, doesn't have the sort of energy that you might hope, especially coming out of an international break, coming out of that extra day of rest, uh, it just didn't seem like Nashville's day. And, um, you know, Streaks are going to end, and that's what happened on Sunday afternoon. Uh, speaking of flukes, a fluky stat for you that you know, but our audience may not. Felipe Hernandez, the Murfreesboro native and SKC homegrown, has now scored against his hometown club in USL and MLS. Mm-hmm. He scored for Swope Park in a 5-1 defeat back in uh, 2019 uh, at First Tennessee Park, and he scores on a free kick that I don't even know if he intended to score. I think he was trying to find a head and it skipped mm-hmm. past everybody. And, and Joe Willis was fooled by that same concept. So uh, I think his, I think his goal in USL, I don't 
quite remember, but I think it was a banger as well. It was. It yeah, absolutely yeah. was. Right past, was it Pickens or Connor Sparrow that day? I forget. But he, it was a yeah. bullet from outside the box. So he has yet mm-hmm. to score in, from inside the box against Nashville. <laughs> what a loser not I know, scoring right? from inside the box. Yeah, you know, got to go for the drama. And uh, <laughs> he succeeded and created some drama in Nashville as a result. Uh, so what's the biggest issue, Tim, that you're seeing with this team right now? Uh, how did this group go? From a dominant 3-1 win in Colorado, a record-setting season-opening road trip in which they looked good most games, great some games, some promising performances at home, to now one point in two matches against struggling teams at Jota's Park. Well, Wes, you you have listened to this podcast many times, even participated in in it in a few. What do you think I'm going to say here? Something about the size of a sample. That's exactly right. It, the, I absolutely understand the frustration. I, I really do. Um, like I said, this NFC team came out flat. They have no business looking as listless as they did in back-to-back games, but it's also a two-game sample size. That, that doesn't necessarily mean a whole lot when you look at how good the team is overall, when you look at how good the season has been overall. These are kind of different questions than how did you perform in the last two games. Do they look like they might project a little bit of worrisome uh, stuff going forward? Possibly, but but weird things do happen. You do end up, um, you know, putting a decent amount of XG up against San Jose and not scoring. You do end up uh, giving up a fluky goal and, and, and another half fluky goal against a bad SKC team. Um, you know, I mentioned that even in their, their terrible, terrible, terrible first couple of years, FC Cincinnati beat some playoff teams. Well, last year, when you look at New England setting a points record, they lost to FC Dallas and Toronto FC teams that were just terrible last year even good teams lose some games that they definitely should not this national team is not as good as last year's new england revolution team but they're also not suddenly as bad as san jose earthquakes and sporting kansas city either i think the heart of the question you know and the reason i would ask it is is not to pinpoint things that just were crappy for a game or two that are going to mm-hmm. happen in this league, but then to ask that larger question of what can we project forward as concerns? And I think that's what we'll get into with the mailbag, especially yeah. a number of questions to get into some of those specifics. So we'll, we'll talk specifics in a bit, but I will certainly get on board with the fact that, that you're going to have stinkers. You try not to have them at home. Nashville hadn't really had a stinker at home really in about 25 matches with one or two, you know, lackluster scoreless draws mm-hmm. here and there uh, along the way. Uh, let's get into a, a big talking point though. Um, during the latter part of the match and certainly afterward. What happened on the penalty that uh, that got overturned? So, essentially, Alex Wheel goes down. Another penalty shot of several for Nashville SC. This one is given. There's a customary review period before Hani Mukhtar steps to the spot. It looks to me like VAR upheld the penalty. Mm-hmm. Hani puts the ball down on the spot. Actually, puts it down about six inches ahead of the spot. Roger Espinosa, the 35-year-old vet, sees that, walks forward, gets in the way, picks the ball up, puts it back on the spot, earns a yellow card, but in that time, VAR, it appeared at least to us, Tim, buzzed again and said, check the offside of the buildup. That offside was given, penalty overturned. That's what looked... It looked like to me that's the sequence yeah. that, that from, from the naked eye it appeared. And so this echoes questions from... Logan Elliott, Jay Robinson, John Mueller, others. Did Roger truly delay things long enough to allow VAR to take another look? Because in my view, right call or not on the offside, that's really an unacceptable situation. I think it's important to first say that the call did end up looking like it was right, too. I know the first replays that were shown on the broadcast, you didn't even see Mueller on the screen. You didn't realize that he was the one who was offside. They showed um, on subsequent replays, you could see that he was indeed probably a couple yards offside when that first initial ball was played. So in terms of, of justice, uh, I guess you could say that it was indeed the right call. But the process here is uh, pretty uh, questionable, <laughs> I guess, to, to be charitable about it. But it kind of reminds me of an issue that, that we have seen in the past in the NFL. Um, I don't watch a ton of NFL, as most listeners probably know, but. Once there's kind of a new development outside the run of play, for example, uh, a time-wasting yellow card (laughs) given to Roger Espinoza, uh, or in the NFL example, uh, coaches have to throw a challenge flag to challenge a play. If they do that incorrectly, it's a penalty, and then they can no longer go back and and do it correctly because there's been a new development in the play. It seemed to me like it, like you know, for the in the name of justice. Espinosa getting a yellow card should have kind of ended any opportunity to go back and, and find something before. It's different than a, a, you know, pulling a goal back because of something in the buildup because the play has stopped. The play has now been stopped multiple times for multiple different situations by the time Espinosa uh, is officially put in the book. It seemed like 
as you mentioned, VAR had already checked it, already approved it. They, they've had kind of their opportunity at it. Um, so, yeah, it seems like a weird one. Again, ultimately, I think the call was correct. So there's only so much complaining you can do. But this is an edge case. Um, it, uh, uh, Espinosa was savvy. He did something that, that won his team a game that they were probably going to draw. Otherwise, that's very significant. But um, this is one that wasn't executed correctly by the officiating crew in the moment. Um, I know the officiating crew has come in for a, a little bit of uh, complaining from Nashville C fans, and we'll get into that in the mailbag as well. But there should be a, a correct implementation that is kind of codified in the rules going forward, because this obviously, even if it was within the bounds of the rules, it kind of the optics of it were not good. And, and no. it needs to be made clear exactly how those sorts of things go down. And if and as we hear more insight into how the situation was managed, you know, Pro does sometimes hold internal calls with MLS personnel to discuss some of these decisions. Mm -hmm. Sometimes they will release statements, although not often enough. Um, sometimes, and, sometimes we'll we'll hear from from a certain someone who's who might be the head coach of Nashville SC that uh, the league has apologized to us, even though it's not going to change <laughs> the outcome. Yeah, and and it's it's actually <laughs> educational to me that the mm -hmm. offside call appeared correct because from the booth as we were calling the game, we got the the TV yeah, I, broadcast. I absolutely did not see it live. I didn't did see not it. see it live. No, not live, and even on yeah. on some of those replays. Now we're yeah. also looking at all the other happenings, and there were lots yeah. of them during that break. So we very well very well may have missed an angle, but Jamie Watson and I call the game and the booth were both flummoxed by the call yeah. itself and so it's mm -hmm. almost reassuring in a way to know that perhaps it was correct yeah. but man they've really got to work on that implementation and mm -hmm. i'm with you once it's once it's given once the penalty is given the ball's put down espinosa gets the yellow there should not be further review of that yeah there, you, there you, you shouldn't be. be able to if the var check has been completed as it appeared once that yellow card happens you're kind of clean slate. We shouldn't be able to yep. go back and look at anything in the past unless we're going to go, you know, review calls from previous games or something at that point, too, because at a certain point you need to put it to bed. And by the time that you, you've you already had a decision and you've already had kind of a new development that that, you know, I only put like 20 match events on, a, on the description of a game. Once a completely new match event has happened, it seems yeah. like you've kind of missed your opportunity. there. I think that's reasonable. And I want to know how many games it's going to take for Dax McCarty to try something similar to what Exodus <laughs> did. If it, if it victimizes yeah. you, maybe you can Speaking of savvy away. veterans. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, speaking of a youngster who's still relatively new to Nashville, Aki Lopa showed some promise, got his goal. Uh, second of the season in all competitions, third for Nashville in all competitions. Actually, though, from what I'm seeing, I believe his first shot on target this season for Nashville in, uh, in league play, and it finds the back of the net. And then on the other side, another bit of good news, Randall Leal, back, uh, was never going to play the full 90 in his first mm -hmm. match back. I think we can all understand that. But really did seem to let out some pent-up energy in his final 20 minutes or so of action. Loba, Leal, potential right spots for this team on an otherwise dark day. Yeah, we've seen a little bit of Loba, obviously not as much as, as many fans would like, but it's, it's Leal's absence that has been, I think a factor that that you don't necessarily feel in terms of how the game plays out. But then when you kind of sit back at the end of the day and say, oh, that didn't feel quite as dominant as it should have. I think Leal's absence has been big there. Um, it's great to see him back. It's unfortunate for him that it was in circumstances that he couldn't kind of be the catalyst to turn the game around and at least scrape out a draw. But a guy coming back after, after I believe it was eight games out, if I recall correctly, I probably should have looked because that's very easy to look up. But um, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's something that seeing him look like he hadn't missed a step, obviously, as you mentioned, not 90 minutes fit, but he's, he's close. And I think once he is 90 minute fit, game changer for the team. It's like, it's like signing a DP mid-season, honestly. However many games it is, just dated mm -hmm. back to RSL. That was, of course, when yeah. he went out and had missed the time since. Uh, Gold Nuggets, we'll say goodbye to the home win streak and, and recap it with a little bit of swan song. Cue the, the uh, end credit music with the uh, the ticker uh, that often happens in those, you know, nonfiction based on a true story movies. 25 matches in all competitions. Again, 22 of them in regular season league play. That second number, there's 22 in re regular season league play the sixth longest such streak in MLS history. And even in a league where results tend to skew pretty heavily yeah. toward the home side, this was a feat, Tim, that wasn't just good in the standings, wasn't just good for this team's psyche, but really allowed this club to build an identity very early in its history. It was crucial to what Nashville SC has become over the course of the past couple of years, going from you know a fringe playoff team in the inaugural year to number two in the East last year and, and looking bound for a pretty lofty spot in the West this year. Is there almost, from your end, Wes, a little bit of relief that it's over, though? Not really. I, I okay. see the point. 
I don't know how much that really weighs on a team's psyche, like like it might on the fans. Yeah. Um, but I, I'm I'm willing to entertain a counter argument to that. Effect. Yeah, I mean, you hear about it. I think the the number one place you hear about it is in women's college basketball because UConn and uh, you know under Pat Summit back in the day, Tennessee would always be like undefeated going into the the uh, Big East tournament or the SEC tournament respectively, and they would the players would talk about. Not only do we go out and win the game, but we have to do it with this kind of expectation and and this realization that we have the opportunity to to keep a long streak going. There's extra pressure there. I remember the God, this is going to be the weirdest men's college basketball. The 2005 Illinois team went into the national championship game with North Carolina undefeated, and they were smoked in that game. They said, "Man, we just felt like there was there was too much on us." I think losing the win streak probably makes this Nashville SC team play better over the course of the year because there is that pressure that uh, is no longer on them to say, okay, you're you're not only going out and winning games to, to move up the table to have a good season, but because because it's required of you because you're you're keeping the streak going. I think you, once you don't have to worry about preserving that streak, you can just go out and, and play a little bit looser and try to win games. And that's what we saw Nashville do most of the time last year. We've seen them do it a little bit at Geodas Park this year. They've obviously looked a little bit tighter at Geodas Park the last couple of games. And hopefully ending that streak will, will get that kind of monkey off their backs and let them play free again. Number one, Luther Head was really good on that 05 Illinois team. I can I can match your deep cut there. I, rem- I remember Sean May was the center for North Carolina, and yep. there was uh, Raymond Felton was the point guard. Those are the only two players from that game I really remember. <laughs> Those guys could ball too. That was yeah. that was a good a good matchup. And number two, thanks for redeeming your UConn mention with one with Pat Summit and in Tennessee uh, as well. That was that was good of you. I I don't know that I I see the pressure argument as much with this team. Although I think in 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 a theoretical sense, it certainly makes sense. I do think. At some point, you start to take for granted that you're going to be able to to find the magic and, and get the result. And so I think, you know, a moment like this is a good epiphany for this team, that this is not something they can just line up and earn um, every time out, that, that they've still got to face down even the worst teams in the league mm-hmm. and, and get it done. Um, and, and part of the reason, I think, for maybe some of that false confidence, if that ever did exist, was that the team had really found a, an attacking rhythm at home. Uh, in that streak of 25 unbeaten, they'd scored 2.1 goals per match. They were only shut out twice in that Whole stretch. San Jose, of course, last week, and Miami, the scoreless draw. You know those uh, two defensive juggernauts. Yeah, exactly. That's the <laughs> ironic part, right? Like, it's, it's just so strange. This league. Don't. I, I will never put money on a game. First of all, I work for a club on match day, so I feel like there's some rules against that. Number two, I, I don't bet on sports because I think I know too much and, and, and would get it wrong. You would be consistently proven wrong. <laughs> I would fall, I'd fall into that same trap so many do, but especially this dang league. I mean, Vancouver winning at Dallas, for instance. I know Vancouver's mm-hmm. better now, but I, I, I would just... It, it's not pretty. It's not pretty. So Miami and San Jose, the two teams to shut Nashville out, but that 2.1 goal per game average at home stands in contrast to 1.1 goals per match on the road in that stretch. Far better at home in the attack in, in those 25. Yeah, we hear about Gary Ball a lot, right? It, sometimes it's used pejoratively by fans or or non-fans to describe the way that Nashville SC plays. But one of the things that it, that it certainly does mean that is not – uh, that is not um, an attempt to insult or or laud the team. It's just to be descriptive is they played way more wide open at home in the first however many matches of this of this club's existence than they have on the road. Um, I think that's that's going to continue to be true. And um, I think they will always be that way. Gary Smith kind of talks about how the philosophy of playing at home is different than the philosophy of playing on the road. I think a lot of coaches might not admit that. And hopefully now that, again, you you have two two games in which they just couldn't seem to score enough. Maybe they'll, again, be freer now that they have the opportunity to say, okay, let's just get back to what we did right. Maybe mm-hmm. that loss kind of shocks something into their system and, and gets the gets the AFib taken care of for all my for all my true uh, defibrillator knowledge heads. <laughs> so in five minutes, we've discussed the point guard from the 2005 Illinois Fighting Illini and defibrillator <laughs> knowledge. This is this is this uh, is club and country. The show is representative. <laughs> yes, the show is representative of what we are. So then the question I think that a lot of people are going to have then is, you know, is the home magic fizzling? Just two wins inside ninety minutes in those first seven matches at Jodas Park, and you know Nissan Stadium didn't exactly offer up any particularly noteworthy advantages that Jodas doesn't have. So it's not like now that they've changed venues, they've got to you know fight some resistance they you know didn't have at Nissan. The atmosphere is certainly more form- formidable. What's going on here, Tim? I have a, a three-part answer. I think first, 
it feels like, I don't know if it's the team or the fans, but it feels like a little bit of, of what Geodis Park can be was being taken for granted, kind of by people saying, you know, we're not renting a, a facility from the Titans anymore. This is our own place, and it's going to have this atmosphere and have this successful team because it is our place. And work needs to go into that. It's not something that just kind of happens. Secondly, I think adjusting to a different paradigm after being road warriors and, and having an exceptional road trip, there's just a different vibe being at home. You don't get to go out and say, okay, we are, it's us against the world every single time we go out, like they were able to do for eight straight games. And there is, it's not, it's not necessarily a, a bad or, 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 you know, you know, worse mindset in any stretch of the imagination. It's just a different one that they need to get used to. And then thirdly, uh, as I, uh, as I so often say, Wes, I think small sample sizes are coming into play here as well. We need to to take the clip from the Colorado Avalanche fan seeing all the small things, uh, <laughs> even after the puck dropped and there was no music playing beneath him, and just apply that and play that in the background every time you say small sample sizes. But you're right on that point, of course. Um, one thing that I have a large enough sample size to tell you with authority is that ML Rose is delicious. How's that it's for true. a segue? It's true. That, you did it. You did it, Wes. B plus segue <laughs> there. And, you know, we, we do talk about the burgers, you know, we talk about the beers and, and Tim undersells my tendency to also talk about the beers. I do that with great frequency as well, but there are other good menu items uh, here as well. And, and I think, you know, it, it bears discussing because the wings are delicious. Uh, in fact, my go-to lately, Tim has been to get fries on the side of my burger and get a, a side of their wing sauce as well. They have a four mm-hmm. times hot, like the seeds are still in there. It's pretty intense. Uh, I like that a lot. It's not always pretty, uh, but it, it's, it's good. <laughs> Uh, they're nachos also. I don't think yeah, what, I noticed we're, we're not seeing a lot of pictures of you after going to <laughs> It's um, seeing him not always pretty. The food is always pretty. wing sauce all over the face. It's all it's over a the bit hands. Of, but did you really eat wings if you didn't do it in a messy fashion? Like, I oh, know I it's point. it's gross when I eat wings. Uh, from a visual perspective, it's delicious when I do it at MLROs and have uh, some of their delicious sauces and their delicious wings, for sure. And I've never gotten a dirty look from the surfer when they come up and they oh, see no, they, like 25 they know. napkins. 25 they, napkins strewn about with sauce. They know the deal. They know the deal. They know. Sure. They know what's up, and they do a great job not judging. So <laughs> judgment-free wing eating. MLROs is a great site for that. And judgment-free nacho eating as well. Nachos are challenging, right? Because you end up a lot of times other places, not in Melrose with like all just the naked chips underneath all the topping. Mm-hmm. And you got to decide whether you go ahead and dig in for those and then redistribute yourself, like redistribution of topping, you know, are you going to be a, a nacho socialist there? Um, or, you know, in a, in a good setting, like in Melrose, the toppings are spread out evenly throughout the nachos. And it is a much, uh, I won't continue the metaphor about socialism versus capitalism. <laughs> it's a much more equitable approach right at the outset. They set the tone for the nachos. And I, I, I am a huge fan of their black bean nachos. You can get them with chicken, which is great. Or you can get them um, in vegetarian style with the black beans. It's, it's, you can't lose. I've done both. They're both great. Yeah, and we talk a lot about the burgers. And, and we talk a lot about the Carolina Sweets uh, waffle fries because they're really good. But there really is a, a much broader menu than I think we, we give credit to. But we found our favorites and we have them so frequently. We can't turn our backs on our favorites. So uh, when you do when you do go to ML Rose and, and send us your, your lovely pictures that our listeners so often do, tell us especially if you get something that we don't talk about on here yes. very often. I'm, I'm looking forward to that, seeing seeing what your recommendations are for, for us to go and get, get at ML Rose. And if you send an attractive enough picture of the food, we might just follow your recommendation next time. Uh, I, I think probably I'll, will, I'll commit actually. to that. I'm, I'm very, I'm very, uh, I'm very persuadable. <laughs> Tim is an impressionable menu order. You heard it here. You heard it here. Uh, onto the mailbag and lots of questions. Some of them salty, but most of them again very, I think, realistic here. You know, and 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 nuanced and fair. And nobody's trying to fire anybody or get anybody cut off the team. But I think there are some legitimate questions that many of you are asking. Tracy Edwards says, "I've been beating this drum since 2018." Harking back to USL days. I am forever disappointed when I see Gary put out defensively oriented lineups against defensively challenged opponents, and especially at home. The second half starting 11, he says, should have been the starting 11, in my opinion. Anybody else feel feel similarly? Tim, I'll get to you for the opinion, but just to clarify who was in and who wasn't, Gary took away an attacker to start this match. He played Sean Davis, Brian Anuga, and Anibal Godoy in midfield in a 3-5-2 formation with Hani and CJ up top. At halftime, he took out Brian Anunga. He inserted Ake Loba and had three attackers in a 3-4-3. So the question Tracy is asking and opining about, should he have started the match that way? 
I think there was little to lose by putting a, a defensive lineup out there because SKC couldn't score and they couldn't stop anyone either <laughs> so far this year. So there, there was, you know, there's an argument for kind of tilting your specialty in either direction. Uh, when it wasn't working, the substitution was the right call, putting another attacker out there, taking uh, Tabarai Nunga out of the game. What I think from the from the starting lineup is is Godoy and Davis provide enough going forward that 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 the uh, kind of triple pivot midfield, I guess you could call it, made a little bit of sense. You, the lone holding midfielder is a little bit less defensive cover, honestly, because you're not playing a flat three across the middle there, and, and Nashville very rarely does uh, put its mid, its defensive midfielders right next to each other anyway, even when there's two. But what you see is uh, the ability for, for Davis and Godoy to get forward and Anunga to stay back a little bit and be that shield. The problem on Sunday, I think, was that Anunga was not being consistent enough with his forward passing. He's been very open that that's something that he really wants to work on. He knows that it's the one hole in his game. And, um, you know, whether it was one bad game from him or or something that uh, he was asked to do that he can't necessarily do. I think that was the bigger problem than putting three holding midfielders out there because Davis and Godoy are able to get forward. It was just a, a match where, you know, that that lone holder was unable to connect with the two guys who were allowed to get a little bit further forward. And another element of the game plan when you do have the quote-unquote flat or three defensive midfielders, uh, even if you're intending to get a couple of them forward, is to push the wingbacks high mm-hmm. and wide as well. And Finn Breland, along with, by the way, last week, a wonderful picture from ML Rose. Thanks, Finn. Um, he asks this question. From our vantage point, it seemed like the fullbacks were pushed up wide and available with plenty of space most of the match, yet happy to back pass and rarely release to advance the ball forward. Is this a product of possession-oriented tactics or a lack of player confidence. I do know going in, again, the plan was to get Mule and Lovitz high. I think part of the problem was that DC did a good job launching over the top. So even when it looked like Lovitz and Mule had a lot of space going forward, they were quickly pinned back with some long balls. And Johnny Russell, Daniel Shallowy, two of the best wings mm-hmm. in this league on a team that struggled. They are both standouts and outstanding. But then in the, in the attack, to me, Tim, the biggest issue was not necessarily even you know tactics. Or maybe it was if you had the third attacker. Maybe it's not a problem. Or, um, but but it's it's the lack of connection in the center of the pitch. So yeah. the wingbacks were getting high and wide, but then there was nobody for them to connect with. It forced Hani and CJ to kind of be that connection, but then when they're playing so far back, they're not able to really strike on counters in the first half, and, and then it kept NSC from building effectively once Kansas City sat back in the second half. That's at least how I saw that. Yeah, I think that's where the triple pivot hurt because Godoy and Davis weren't in the positions that they're most comfortable receiving and passing the ball, so some of those connections just seem to be a beat off. Right. So you would get the ball to the wing back and then the wing back typically knows where to find one of those guys when Nashville's in its more typical formation. And that wasn't quite right They're You know, they're just maybe three steps one way or, or a couple steps backwards. And so it's I felt like it was a bit more of a chemistry thing from the formation change rather than the mm-hmm. personnel. And I do I do think that what you said about Hani and CJ having to drop back is important because we know that the most important thing for this team in attack is to get Hani Mukhtar on the ball in space at the top of the opposing penalty area. He's very good at getting into those positions. He's very good at paying those positions off. Nashville couldn't find him in them enough on Sunday afternoon. It is customary when a player scores a goal that he often often earns the start under Gary Smith for the next contest. To that degree, Aaron and Alex Wynn both asking whether Lobo would start the next game, and Alex saying thoughts on starting Panico and Lobo for the next few games, including U.S. Open Cup. I would still predict that Lobo is probably a a no for Saturday Mm -hmm. since it's on the road and since Randall Leal might be back to full fitness. I do think we see a return probably to a 3-4-3 look for Nashville with Leal, Mukhtar, and Sapong if Nashville's ready to play Leal uh, the majority of the match. I do think Lobo's earned a longer leash. I wouldn't be surprised to see him start the U.S. Open Cup road match in Orlando, potentially some home matches in the near future. I know it wasn't perfect, and you'll um, hone in on one of those imperfections here in a minute, but I think he's he's been better. He's been more confident, yeah, and the yeah. goal is is capping what's been better play for him. As for Panico, I think he's instilled enough confidence and introduced enough competition to serve as NSC's cup keeper. I think maybe he is your U.S. Yeah. Open Cup guy, but I worry about pulling Willis after Sunday. I still think you know, if there's a map for getting Panico time, it should be a roadmap set at least somewhat in advance and be a little more strategic than reactionary so you don't hurt Joe's confidence. Yeah, uh, I'll start with Lobo. Um, certainly the goal was very nice um, and he did some nice things in attack, but his, uh, I guess we'll call it effort um, on the second SKC goal basically created it. Graham Zussi's kind of ambling about at the top of Nashville's box and Lobo 
watches him rip a lefty shot to the far side netting. Um, that's been the talking point with Loba. It's he is capable of moments of attacking magic, but he's capable of making big mistakes, and he's not necessarily as as dependable and as solid at the back or as solid going backwards as as Nashville needs him to be. He's a game state sort of guy, and that's what makes him a a sub more than a starter at this point. Um, in terms of what you see with Panico, I think. Uh, you you probably see a guy who's who's drawing closer to Willis on the depth chart. I think there's a chance that they're pretty similar to each other. If you are prioritizing the U.S. Open Cup game, you might be able to say, "Hey, Joe, this is not a, an insult to you, but we're going to start Elliot in D.C. and save you for the Open Cup game." And that might be a way to get both of those guys plenty of minutes going forward. Not a bad way to go. I I, I do think we'll both agree for sure, regardless of the cadence. Elliot Panico is a guy who should probably see yeah. more time at some point this year. I think he's he's earned that right uh, and can give Joe a rest or a chance to shift perspective again. Staying on the subject of Joe Willis, question from J.D. Smith. Joe doesn't say no as much anymore. Is it the defense in front of him or is it something else? I think he's performing not significantly worse than he always has. We'll, we'll talk about my, my small sample size <laughs> obsession, but... Uh, when you look at at you know facing twenty shots and and two of them are goals or whatever, that's still small sample sizes. I think you know the whims of luck, some bad bounces. Certainly the the Felipe Hernandez goal was a a bad bounce for him on Sunday afternoon. But um, the the Zussi goal, there's not really anything he could have done. Um, you know, there's just sometimes you're going to get bad luck. I I do understand the backup quarterback impulse, and we obviously just talked about how we both want to give some time to Elliot Panico. But I think the reality of the situation is that. Willis hasn't looked as bad as, as some of the stats might say, even as some of the highlights might say, it's just a matter of kind of, you know, the, those small sample sizes, that bad luck. And I think um, some of it is, yes, this team is giving up more looks, but that's because they want to get forward more. There's a balance. Gary Smith always talks about the balance and maybe it hasn't been ideal for, for Joe Willis. And it hasn't necessarily been ideal to not have Walker Zimmerman either. Shay says, any thoughts on why the chemistry that Nashville had at the beginning of the season seems to be gone now. Well, um, believe it or not, comment on small sample sizes. Um, I don't, I don't think there's been that much lost chemistry wise, but, I, but there's something to be said for an international break, missing Randall Layall for as long as he was out missing Walker Zimmerman for these past few games while he was on international duty. There have been, you know, more personnel absences in this season than I think there were in the previous two seasons combined. And that's through a year where Nashville was having to sit guys because of the uh, protocols for a global pandemic on a regular basis. I do think as Leal gets back into the lineup, as Zimmerman gets back into the lineup, even if there is shakeup around other areas of the lineup, those are two stalwarts on this team. And once they are, are able to go 90 minutes more often than not, it'll really settle back in and that, and that chemistry will return a little bit. B. Jefferson, Hani fan, but seems like his corner service isn't the best. Should someone else be taking them? Dan Levitz also often does take them, uh, especially in swingers with that left foot. Uh, is the change then to Hani to take? Because Hani took a bunch from from mm-hmm. that left side as well uh, against SKC. Was that? Do you think to help prevent counterattacks? Was that the move there? Yeah. Well, so you you typically have a right footed taker and a left footed taker, and I think game plan stuff plays more of a role in terms of what are your your basically your set piece plays that you're going to run. Do you need an outswinger from that side? Do you need an in swinger from that side? When you look at kind of the overarching philosophy, what you want is a guy who can play a really good ball. Um, we'll get to back to Hani in a sec because the question was, is he playing a good ball? But you also need fast guys back to ensure no counters. It's typically been Lovitz as one of those guys who's back. Um, to prevent counters from happening. Taylor Washington is almost always back there when he's on the on the field, unless he's the left-footed kick taker, because he's so fast. He can make sure that a team doesn't um, clear the ball and suddenly have a fast break opportunity. Um, Mukhtar does play a nice ball. Um, they, they haven't been elite lately. I think it's fair to say that all of his service has not been perfect. I don't think all of anybody's service is perfect, though. And what you don't see from Mukhtar is a guy who has that elite speed to make sure corner or corners don't turn into counters. And he's not a guy who's an aerial threat in the box. So either his his opportunities are be a guy standing on the edge of the box for a second ball 
or be the guy serving the corner kick. And I think when you look at how he strikes the ball, putting him on the corner kick is, is ultimately the best use of him. And when he's your best player, you figure out how to use him best and, and maybe go, go down the line from there and figure out who else fits in besides Walker Zimmerman, who's obviously always there for the, for the headed chance. I mentioned Shay a minute ago, another question from her. As a newer soccer fan, I'm still trying to figure out if the officiating sucks or if I'm biased. <laughs> I love the brutal honesty here. It seems like refs often do a poor job, she says. Is this just part of watching soccer? She says she's noticed it watching NWSL as well, mm-hmm. or do they have it out for Nashville? Nobody has it out for Nashville. We're going to agree yeah. there's no there's no bias here. But the quality question, I think, is one that others have, have asked in the mailbag and uh, and certainly asked to their buddies in the seats, I'm sure, on Sunday. <laughs> it's part of watching soccer, unfortunately. I would actually even contend, believe it or not, and, and I think Euro snobs will definitely say they do not believe. I think the standard of officiating in MLS is at least as good as the Premier League. I think it's, uh, on average, quite a bit better than in the Premier league um we notice bad calls more because they're hurting the local team or helping the local team when you're at geodas park it's a little bit easier to feel aggrieved by an officiating call especially because you can yell at the official for it um i will say and i whenever we talk officiating especially when we criticize uh although i think i just went out of my way to not criticize but um pro refs are professionals and should be held to a professional standard but I hate to lean on criticism of the officials just because it can become such an easy crutch and it can dissuade people from getting into refing in the first place. If you're worried that officials aren't good enough, I think the biggest issue is a small labor pool of officials um, because people don't want to go into it because they're getting abuse. It's hard, often thankless work. People should be commended for doing it. Yes, once you get to the MLS level, you should be rightfully criticized when you make mistakes. Um, if you don't like the way that officiating looks at any level, though, I think you can be the change that you want to see in the world, right? And get into it, either uh, become an official yourself or encourage people to become officials. And most importantly, treat officials with kindness because otherwise there aren't going to be as many officials. If you think it's bad to have a bad official, imagine if that guy's not available and the the next worst person has to step in and do it too. (laughs) I get yelled at enough by my two-year-old, so I'll pass, but (laughs) I certainly would encourage folks to consider that. Uh, Jay Robinson doesn't have to be this episode, but it will be, at least an initial cursory answer, Jay. He says he's curious what the youth academy looks like, what to expect with MLS Next, or if there are any first-team prospects. Now, we would really love to go give you guys a deep dive into the academy system. We absolutely should have done this during the international break. We should have. That's on us. us. There's another one in (laughs) September. So (laughs) we'll we'll, we'll pepper in some of that insight as we go, I will say. Um, I I won't speak and can't speak uh, with authority to first-team prospects in that group. I will say Mm -hmm. Andre Yahic, and apologies for any mispronunciations there, uh, on the U17 team has been... um, called up by Bosnia's youth team, Bosnia and Herzegovina, and he's going to be playing internationally for them in an upcoming tournament. So that's at least a one small indication that there's some quality in this group, Tim. Yeah, and there's a, he, he comes from the, I believe it's Sky Soccer in Bowling Green, which a bunch of the especially older kids in the academy came from. So that's definitely something to, to kind of keep an eye on and, and shouts to those people for presenting their, their top players to Nashville SC. In terms of what it means for the first team, in terms of, seeing a guy walk out into Geodas Park, put on the gold uniform and play in an MLS game. I would, I would caution you to be very, 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 very patient with this. Um, the U13s have gone 15, two and three in the MLS next season. The U14s have gone 16, uh, four and two, but the U15s and the U17s have really struggled. And that's no surprise because these guys have not been in an academy setup their whole lives because Nashville SC did not have an academy. Nashville SC Academy did not exist until the past few years. And these guys not only weren't uh, exposed to the academy kind of training uh, setup, mm-hmm. but they don't have multiple years of chemistry playing with each other. When you look at, for example, Philadelphia Union, their U17s have been playing with each other since they were U8s probably. Yeah. Nashville is not going to have that for a really long time. I do think that it's still possible to to have kind of a, a unicorn uh, prospect for the first team because a, a guy is just so good that even if the team is playing really poorly, he has that potential. But in terms of, of a pipeline from the academy to the first team, it's going to take a little while still. 
the best shows have short-term plots and long-term storylines. This is a mm-hmm. long-term storyline that I'm excited to follow, and we look forward to giving you all more insight, maybe some interviews down the road as well. Mm-hmm. Not with the kids, but like with, with people leading this academy. <laughs> I think there's there's really good opportunity to follow this, and we want to be a source for you guys. Listen, of course, Wes, it's, it's a lot of interviews I've done with 17-year-olds in my life. <laughs> uh, when I was in TV, oh, oh for recruiting? Oh, hell, oh, man, yeah, no. You're, you're good at it. You're a specialist at that. When I was in TV, it was the it was the younger kids that you just dreaded mm-hmm. interviewing because they'd be talking, 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 and you put the camera on them. Yes, yeah. no, didn't work. Didn't work very well on on, on the TV side of things. Uh, the best handle we've ever seen, by the way, Louis Van Yall asks a question: uh, How can Nashville steal all three in DC, beat Orlando in U.S. Open Cup, and return to winning ways at home against Portland? How do you expect Gary to approach each game? Yeah, I alluded to this above, and it's it's definitely more my preference than what I necessarily think Gary Smith will do. But the U.S. Open Cup game is my is my number one priority here, and that's for an obvious reason. Nashville SC is is a team that looks like it's definitely going to make the playoffs, but is definitely not going to contend for the Supporters Shield. At that point, you look at a U.S. Open Cup game and say, we are three games away from a trophy. We are three games away from making it to the CONCACAF Champions League through that through the uh, qualifying mechanism through U.S. Open Cup. It, at this point, is a three-game season, basically, and you want to prioritize that one at any opportunity. That said, uh, you can take all three points in D.C. by playing against D.C. United. It's <laughs> the, the main way to do it. I think most teams would say that, although, yeah. uh, you know, with this Nashville SC team getting the results it did against San Jose and, and Kansas granted. City, I, nothing, nothing should be taken for granted. But you, you do prioritize the U.S. Open Cup game. You, you put out a good enough team against D.C. that you think can get you the win because a even a slightly rotated team should be able to do that. And then when Portland comes to town, you, you take what you can get, but you have to take them as they come. And the U.S. Open Cup game has to be the priority number one. If, if you play your best lineup and all those guys can't go 90 minutes again just a few days later, so be it. And you might drop a, a couple points to Portland. I think that one thing we've never mentioned on this show that I can recall is that Mike Jacobs oversaw the winning of two U.S. Open Cups in his three years in Kansas City. Um he was, he was part of the organization when they won those. He surely understands the value and prioritizes U.S. Open Cup. I think that yeah. that bears out. So I would expect the club to go that route. Yeah. I'll say this. I think you have to prioritize D.C. first, though, and put your absolute best team in there because of the last two matches you've had. I think they need to make a statement uh, to themselves and, and rebuild that confidence, even though D.C. is eminently beatable with a, you know, a one B type of side. Mm-hmm. I think, I think they have to, they have to go that route against DC, but I think you can, you can do that. Ideally you get a lead. You can be, you know, put in the Anungas of the world guys that might not be, you know, your first choice starters, but guys who can hold on tight for you. And then you've got guys fresh, you know, if you, if you pull honey after 60 minutes, he's got a goal in DC. Great. You know, I, th- I think you can do it in a way that still protects the U S open cup as much as possible. in that trip down to, Orlando and then Portland. I agree. You take what you get there. Uh, I think you you do rely on whatever's left. Try to boo you, <laughs> yeah. And if you end up with a draw against Portland, I know they're below you in the table. They're in double digits in the table right now. I think they were twelfth at last look. But even then, I think you know you you've got to yeah. you've got to prioritize at the very least. Those first two matches are the most important of, of the week. Yeah, I think. yeah. I guess how how you prioritize those first two is up to the individual. And you and I are actually embracing debate on that one for once. But the third one, the third one has to be priority number three, regardless mm-hmm. of how how you order the first couple. Yeah, even though you don't want to fall to the timbers, you know, the tree falls in Jodas Park, you do say timber. <laughs> that was bad. Um, Uncle Beezy, when Dax and or Walker aren't on the pitch, it seems that we lack direction, not just defensively, but all around. Do we have a leadership problem? Davis appeared to be trying to convey some urgency several times Sunday with little to no reaction for the team. No leadership problem on this team. I think, Tim, no. we can point to challenges. In no team is perfect. Every team has its holes. We've identified some today. Leadership is not one of them. Yeah, I was surprised. I had a couple comments uh, immediately after the game on Twitter. People saying, Anibal Godoy is, is, not, is not a good leader. He's not a, he's not a deserving captain of this team. And I, my, I like, my jaw dropped to the floor. I'm rendered speechless a day later trying to talk about it. This is a dude who captained Panama to its first ever World Cup 
like this is a guy who is who's been an eminent leader for this Nashville team when Dax McCarty and, and Walker Zimmerman have at times been unavailable in the past. Godoy is a great leader. Um, you know, obviously Uncle BZ mentioned that Sean Davis has some leadership ability. Joe Willis has some leadership ability, although I, I think you could say, you know, in the second half yesterday, there might have been, okay, I didn't I didn't perform like I wanted to in the first half. So maybe I don't feel like kind of the right to be a leader. But I don't think there's a leadership problem on this team at all. Look at CJ Sapong. Look at Hani yeah. Mukhtar. There are guys who know how to go out and lead. Obviously, Hani's more of a quiet leader, and CJ's more of a fiery, uh, excitable leader. But these are guys who have leadership characteristics. I do think that you'd be hard pressed to find any of them who are as good of a leader as Dax McCarty, but you don't need like basically the best leader in the league to be a, a competent MLS team. Um, especially, um, you know, with all due respect to Dax, the, the the technical aspects of his game and the fitness aspects of his game to go 90 over and over again are not there. He's not going to be the captain for every single game this year. And you have mm-hmm. to kind of adjust what you're going to do from a leadership perspective on the pitch as that kind of, uh, unfortunately, as he, he'll never catch me in age, but he, he's trying. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the last question of a very thorough mailbag today, maybe our longest ever. It's been really, really good to hear from each of you. Jared. And there are a lot of questions that we didn't even get to. Thank you so much, loaded. guys. We appreciate it. Was it loaded. So we, yeah, everybody who, who asked one asked a great one because we, there were some that didn't quite make the cut or at least the timing of it wasn't right. Uh, Jared French, a lot of transfer rumors swirling around Shaq Moore for NSC. And at this point, a lot of fans are hopeful slash excited about his potential signing. And I think the keyword I'll put out there is, is potential, of course. Um, that said, do you see him as the only fix that Nashville needs, or is he just the only one we realistically get? And where would that leave Alex Wheelton? So I want to start with kind of the update on the, the Shaq Moore non-saga, because there have not been very many developments, but we still manage to talk about it as much as we do. Uh, Tenerife uh, fell in their promotion playoffs, so they are not going to be playing in La Liga next year. As we've talked about in the past, the issue with Moore is that he's kind of in, a, in an uncanny valley where they weren't sure if he's going to be quite good enough to play in La Liga, but he might be too expensive if they stay in La Liga 2. I believe it's actually called the Segunda Liga. I don't remember exactly what their nomenclature is. So the question is, do they do they unload him for a transfer fee, unload some of his salary? Nashville and MLS have, have been the rumored destinations. If that happens, I, I don't I don't have any information that would lead me to believe that's no longer the case. So with that said, is a, a right back or right wing back the only fix that Nashville needs? I contended earlier in the mailbag. I contended earlier in the show that I think as, as much as it, it sucks to have had the two results that Nashville has had most recently, it's not as bad as it feels. It feels really bad because that's the emotional weight that we put into individual sporting events but i do think any talent upgrade here is it's it's not going to make nashville the supporter shield winner but it's already a team that's that's better than it feels right now and i think that could really take them to another level you're contending for a home playoff game if you add one more player Mm -hmm. where would that leave alex wheel i think it gives him the opportunity to play in a more attacking role and in a more offensive role which is what he has done his entire career until coming to nashville so it's something that would free him up to be a little bit more attacking. And that's something that he has, he has been very open that he relishes the, mm-hmm. the responsibility and the opportunity to defend, mm-hmm. but he really is a guy who likes to, to get forward and he is a guy who likes to score goals. So it's something that he could get back into those sort of situations. I think even playing him as, as kind of what you saw from Davis and Godoy with Nunga in between them. But if the, if the holding midfielder is more of a Godoy and you have Muil in there, it's a much, it's the same concept, but a much more attack friendly version of same. And I think that's where that would put him. So I do think when you look at this, at this transfer window that opens July 9th, we don't know exactly what Nashville is going to do. We suspect that Shaq Moore is a signing that they're going to try to get over the line. I do think it would be enough to make them the team that they want to be. And I don't think it leaves Alex Wheel, as you mentioned, on the outside looking into this mm-hmm. team. They'd, they'd find a place for him. To give this him is a dude who's, who's missed like one or two games his entire time since joining midseason in 2020. Yeah. All right. Lightning round outside in. We're not going to belabor the point because you all know it. Nashville will not be a World Cup host in 2026. Disappointing, devastating for some. Um, what was the primary culprit? In my opinion, it's it's probably the the lack of certainty around the stadium. Yeah. It's, it's you know, are you in Nissan Stadium with a construction site next door, or are you waiting and hoping and praying that a stadium experiences no delays, uh, and and gets ready in time? It it was just when you have question marks and FIFA has exclamation points everywhere else, it's always going to be tough to mm-hmm. uh, to to win. But I'll ask this question then, if that was the primary issue, who should Nashville have? 
have beaten out? Is there a city that maybe should have sat in favor of Nashville because we know what Nashville would have done as a host? Yeah. Stadium issues aside, this would have been an incredible right. Summer. Yeah, I, I don't think I don't think Nashville should have gotten in over anybody. To be honest, I think yeah. DC and Baltimore, uh, their combined bid should have gotten in over Boston. A Boston bid that includes uh, Foxborough, that includes Gillette Stadium as their as their stadium of choice is it's frankly borderline embarrassing that that they were chosen um as it relates to nashville we know nashville can throw a party i don't think anybody's going to question us in terms of our ability to to pack broadway for an event like the nfl draft a few years ago the point of the world cup is that the soccer is the party you don't need to go to a like a city that is going to provide a party for you for the world cup so i don't think i i don't even necessarily know that nashville as as great of a host city as great as of an entertainment city as it is, is really missing out all that much. I think the World Cup is still going to be really fun in Nashville, even if there aren't oh, yeah. games here. So yes, yes, it stinks to not be able to to walk across the pedestrian bridge and go see a World Cup game. But I don't, I don't think Nashville is is going to lose a ton of sleep over it in the long run. As far as Boston goes, leave it to Robert Kraft to get a happy ending. <laughs> U.S. Open Cup. Quarterfinals start this week. Nashville will not play this week. It'll be next week in Orlando, mm-hmm. but there are uh, the other three matches on Tuesday. So at time of listening for most of you, for many of you, LA Galaxy taking on Sacramento Republic and Matt LaGrasa uh, and Carlton Belmar too, I believe is still over there. Uh, Wednesday, Red Bulls, NYCFC, the uh, New York Derby, and then SKC against Union Omaha. Yeah, I said it like the Union <laughs> Omaha team. Um, any, any upsets you see here in those, in those two that are against lower division sides and, and what do you think happens in Red Bulls and NYC? Do I think there will be upsets? No. Do I want there to be upsets? Of course. It's so fun. That's what makes the U S open cup what it is. Um, of course, union Omaha, uh, playing against, uh, a minnow of, of major league soccer sport in Kansas city. I can't imagine any team losing to sport in Kansas city, much less union Omaha, um, <clears throat> ah, but, but no, SKC is going to win that one. Uh, I, I think the galaxy Sacramento Republic game is actually going to be really interesting, but I think the galaxy are, are kind of similar to Nashville at a point where they're saying, Hey, regardless of what happens in the regular season, this is a trophy we can go out and win. And galaxy is a, a club that expects trophies and hasn't had them in a very long time. NYCFC is one of the best couple teams in this league. Red Bulls are also very good. They're not NYCFC caliber. It's just a matter of, in that one, who who prioritizes this competition. Mm-hmm. And I think that's all that's going to separate these two teams is which one of them says, okay, we want to win U.S. Open Cup versus contend for the Eastern Conference and contend for a supporter shield. Uh, also I'll say NYC. I'll say NYC. I have to, I have to make a call. NYC. There you go. I'll say Red Bulls prioritizes it because NYC is going to be going for that supporter shield. Yeah, fair Red Bulls is up there too. But, yeah, yeah. Uh, we'll see if that's sustainable. As far as SKC Omaha, Omaha's beaten a couple of MLS teams. And to me, the question when it comes to these cup sets is squad depth, right? SKC's going to rotate. And they are so depleted right now. It yeah. should have helped Nashville against them, but I think it gives Omaha at least a chance in that one. But it's it's always hard to predict a, a League One team to go to the semifinals. So I can I really I can, want to though. So it'd be great. Oh my gosh, that's the one I'm going to be excited to watch. As yeah. good as the quality is probably going to be in the other one that night in New York, SKC Union Omaha is going to be my viewing choice for sure. Uh, final whistle uh, content recommendations. I'll go quickly. There's a daily podcast through Major League Soccer that I've come to enjoy. MLS Today. It's hosted by a friend of the show, David Goss, and. Uh, Maybe future friend of the show, Susanna Collins, does a great job for the call-up. We've interviewed her partner, Jillian Sackovitz. Uh, Susanna's great as well. I loves Nashville, by the way, as a city and this club. Um, MLS Today is kind of the – it's a very upbeat, optimistic daily look at, at MLS. They, they talk about who won the weekend. They're not going to get into sniping or criticizing tactics or players. There are other forums for that, but they're they're very upbeat. And I, I like their tone a lot. I like the way they cover the game. And, of course, they have the connections that come with both working for Major League Soccer, and so you get <laughs> good insight there. So I'll recommend MLS Today. Make it your uh, second soccer podcast listen, of course, on on Tuesdays, and it can be your first listen on other days once you've heard us. Yeah, I know. I know. Goss is listening, and I know he's he's going to be listening to the end. So, Goss, you're the man. You know that. You know. You already know that. We know that. Uh, Susanna, I hope you're listening as well. You are also awesome at this. Um, my recommendation is kind of on the other end of the spectrum in terms of of 
how many people might already know about it? And that's Nashville Soundcheck. It is a newer podcast. It's kind of a revival of a, a former podcast during the USL days, during the during the uh, PDL days, during the NPSL days. I'm from the has been sports guys, including but not limited to uh, John Mueller, a frequent friend of the of the pod as well, and a question asker as recently as today. Um, so so him, um, Travis, and Brian do a, do a really good job, kind of coming at it from a fun angle, and that's. Uh, something that obviously we very much appreciate. Soccer is supposed to be fun. So check those guys out. Uh, I think they've only done one episode so far in the revival. So um, go check them out. And uh, there's, it's always great to have more people talking about this club. Yes. And, and, and I would encourage you to support the people that do so. Did any of them say anything about this club before either of us did back in 18 or 17? Because then we you know, I think change our I, tagline. I think I think Brian Taylor might have been talking about him before before uh, me. So he's now in our respective. All this continuous. I I now have the uh, U.S. Open go. Cup. <laughs> Perfect. That works. <laughs> yeah, the more voices in this market talking about yeah. this club and this game, the better. Totally on board with that as well. Those are great guys. Um, all right, let's let's say goodbye with a reminder to get on and give us a rating. We had one rating I think this week, and it was a five star. So thank Woo-hoo. you. No review attached to it, but with five stars, we're not going to ask you for words. The the five star good it, but again yeah. if you want to put some text down as well the more we'll ask for words we won't demand words. that's fair that's totally <laughs> yeah. fair and again if you're going to leave a one star or a two star just go to another podcast and do that thank you um, subscribe as well so it comes straight to your feed tell a friend give us each a follow on twitter ml rose as always uh, providing the burgers moon taxi providing the music and 440 sports network providing the platform everyone have a wonderful week and we'll talk to you again next week We'll be right back.